Let us come for a word of prayer. Let us pray. God of every good and perfect blessing, as you have revealed yourself to your people in the past, so today reveal yourself to us through the reading of your word that we might cling to the promises you have made and to all to us and to all those who place their trust in you. Amen. The scripture readings for today. From the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 5, verses 8 to 17. Woe to those who join house to house, who add field to field, until there is no more room, and you are made to dwell alone in the midst of the land. The Lord of hosts has sworn in my hearing, Surely many houses shall be desolate, large and beautiful houses, without inhabitants. For ten acres of vineyards shall yield but one bath, and a homer of siege shall yield but an ephah. Woe to those who rise early in the morning, that they may run after strong drink, who tarry late into the evening till wine inflames them. They have lyre and harp, timbrel and flute, and wine at their feasts, but they do not regard the deeds of the Lord or see the work of his hands. Therefore, my people, go into exile for want of knowledge. Their honored men are dying of hunger, and their multitude is parched with thirst. Therefore, Sheol has enlarged its appetite and opened its mouth beyond measure. And the nobility of Jerusalem and her multitude go down, her throng and he who exults in her. Man is bowed down, and men are brought low, and the eyes of the haughty are humbled. But the Lord of hosts is exalted in justice, and the holy God shows himself holy in righteousness. Then shall the lambs graze as in their pasture, fatlings and kids shall feed among the ruins. The response to Psalm this morning is Psalm 84. You can follow along on the screen before you. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! May Zolons indeed it thanks for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Happy are those who live in your house, ever singing your praise. Happy are those whose strength is in you, and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. The God of Zion's will be seen in Zion. Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. 
for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than live in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. He bestows favor and honor. No good thing does the Lord withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, happy is everyone who trusts in you. And now from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 12, reading verses 38 to 40. As he taught, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes, and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces, and to have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses, and for the sake of appearance, say long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for his word to us. Friends in Christ, what I say to you this morning is proclaimed in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. For the congregation that's in the building, if I forget about you, you're just going to have to forgive me. It's been three or four months since you've been here, and I've grown accustomed to not seeing your face. But as we begin the sermon this morning, let us begin by setting the scene. The opening chapters of the book of the prophet Isaiah set the scene for the unfolding of the geopolitical events that will shape the life of the children of God for the next 200 years. This is a book about the rising and falling of empires, the world powers that surrounded Judah, as well as the falling and the restoration of Judah itself. It's always easy to forget those, that larger picture as we read scripture and worship on a Sunday morning because we read five verses and then we move off to something else. But this is an epic story across centuries, across empires, across nations. And this passage that we read this morning, found in Isaiah chapter 5, is an expression of the tensions that exist in the, in the land of Judah, the southern empire, or the southern nation of the chosen people of God. It is, there is tension between the vision of the land as it has been seen and given to the people by God and the acquisitiveness of the of Judah, in which Isaiah lives. For those who are joining us on the live stream, if you've got your Bible handy, you can flip it open to chapter 5 for just a minute. For those who are here, you've got homework. You can take a look at this later this afternoon. But if you are sitting next to your Bible and turn to Isaiah chapter 5, you will note the chapter begins with the love song to the vineyard. It's a portion of the chapter that we did not read this morning, 
But in that love song to the vineyard, God expresses his love for the land of Judah and how God has blessed his people by giving to them this rich and fertile land. But something has gone wrong in the land. Something is amiss in the vineyard. And so the poem concludes in verse 7 with these words. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the people of Judah are his pleasant planting. He expects justice, but saw bloodshed. Righteousness, but heard a cry. Part of God's great plan for the vineyard is that it would embody God's justice and God's righteousness. But the people have gone astray. And in the place of God's judgment, there is justice, there is bloodshed. In the place of God's righteousness, there are the cries of the oppressed. And then Isaiah goes on to say, to tell us what this injustice looks like. The rich buy up all the property, all of the homes and all of the land until there is no room left in the land for the people of God. They feast and they sing songs about how they have prospered all along forgetting that it is God who has given the land. This kind of acquisitiveness does not, cannot, sustain life. It is in opposition to God's will for the land because God is a God first and foremost of life. And as a result, the land is ruined. The, the, the yield and the return on the fruit just isn't there anymore. Everything is infected by this injustice. Isaiah paints this picture of a great procession of the nobles of the land marching into the jaws of death, into the land, into the mouth of Sheol, and no one is aware of the fate that awaits them. Commenting on this text, the Old Testament theologian Walter Brueggemann notes that the reference of joining house to house and field to field likely is a reference to the Tenth Commandment as found in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Neither shall you covet your neighbor's wife, neither shall you desire your neighbor's house or field or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Covetousness was destructive to the fabric of Israel's society. This desire to want everything that you see, to long for the relationships and possessions of others, denies the very grace of God. The idea that we must scratch and strive for everything that we can get our hands on and stands in opposition to the affirmation of Scripture that God blesses us and that God's blessing is sufficient. 
As Psalm 84 reminds us this morning, even the sparrow finds a home in the kingdom of God. It seems the affliction of uncontrolled acquisitiveness was not limited to the days of Isaiah. God found it necessary to set limits on the acquisitiveness of God's people in the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not covet. And indeed it was there from the very beginning, wasn't it? The first great prohibition that God gives to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden is the prohibition to, to not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Even in that moment of creation, when it seems that, that Adam and Eve have been blessed beyond measure, the uncontrollable desire of humanity to transgress boundaries and take with that which is not theirs was present. I have to share with you something about this sermon this morning. This is a sermon that I have been working very hard not to preach for a month now. And every time that I had managed to convince myself that, well, I wasn't going to preach this sermon, something new would appear and my outrage would start all over again. And after that happened three or four times, well, like Jonah, eventually you have to get out of the whale and go, I guess, God, this is where we're going. And so this is where we're going this morning. Never in my years in ministry did I think that the verses that we read this morning from Isaiah chapter 5, the woes, as they're referred to, would have direct application to our lives. But then, about a month ago, Following worship on a Sunday morning, I was sitting down and I was reading the following article in the Globe and Mail. It was entitled, Condo Developer Plans to Buy $1 Billion Worth of Single-Family Houses in Canada for Rentals. A condo developer is planning to remove 400 houses from the housing stock in second-tier cities across Canada, several of them, and subdivide those homes into two rental units apiece. The story appeared in the Globe and Mail's business section, and it made a compelling argument, you know, about how this was a great business opportunity. But that's only half the story, isn't it? We all know that the price of housing in Canada has gone crazy. Houses that were worth $200,000 just 18 months ago are now selling for double that amount. And anything in a major city in this country is simply out of reach for far too many Canadians. And we keep asking ourselves this question. How can this be? When is this going to stop? 
How can anyone afford a million-dollar home in Toronto or Vancouver or Ottawa? And these days, you would be hard-pressed to find even a a home for even a million dollars. Indeed, in Toronto, you can put your doghouse in in your driveway and sell it for a million dollars this way, these days it appears. But on that Sunday, reading the business pages of the Globe and Mail, it all became obvious. People are not buying these homes. Corporations are. Corporations are spending billions of dollars to vacuum up property across this country unless you think that that is not a problem because, well, my house just went up $100,000 and isn't that good for me? Or my investment portfolio just went up so much and isn't that good for me? Unless you think that is not a problem, imagine this. These are homes that will never go on the market Again, if they continue to be good investments, these are homes that have become permanent rental properties owned by countries, companies, pardon me, and no individual will buy them again. What does that mean for your children? What does that mean for your grandchildren? If all of the houses in this country are owned by corporations, how will our children ever get their first home? Unless you think I overstate that fact a little bit, the following week, Right, I told you this was one that was just was not leaving me alone. The following week, after reading that first story, this report appeared again in the Globe and Mail. During this pandemic, one fifth of all of the houses sold in Canada were purchased by investors. In less than 18 months, one in five homes sold were converted from family homes into rental properties. As you drive home from church this morning, imagine what your street would look like if one out of every five homes was turned into a rental property. And if that is what happened in just 18 months, How many homes will be owned by investors, corporations, next year or the year after that? Just a couple of weeks ago, we celebrated with our high school graduates the fact that they had come to this milestone moment in their lives when they would leave home and go off to study and embark on their new lives. By the time they graduate in four years' time, I think we have to seriously ask the question, will there be a home for them to purchase anywhere 
in Canada. This is a problem. This is a problem that has massive public policy implications, which I'm not going to get into this morning, because you don't want to hear about public policy. You want to hear the gospel. And it would take me another two hours, so you don't want to be here that long. So we will, we will not deal with public policy. But there are massive public policy problems in what I have just shared with you. But there are also massive theological problems, too. Woe to those who join house to house and add field to field until there is no more room and you are made to dwell alone in the midst of the land. Was Isaiah speaking to Judah? Or was Isaiah speaking to us? Our fundamental belief is that God has created this good creation and given to us all that we need to survive. That God blesses us and that God intends for a share and just sharing of the earth's resources. Because it's in the sharing of those resources that we care for our neighbors. What will happen when people cannot afford homes? As if it's not happening now. What will happen when we allow those to join house to house and field to field until there is no more room. Then, we will indeed experience exile. The following week, because I said this was something that would not leave me alone. The following week, I read another story about what you need to know about moving to the United States. And the article began with a real estate agent somewhere in Canada who commented that her children were considering moving to the United States because they could not afford to live in most cities in Canada. And the real estate agent mused about whether perhaps she had been part of a system that emphasized profit at the expense of her own children. She mourned that she wouldn't be able to visit her children like many of us do because they live just around the corner or down the street, but that her kids would have to move away. But then, instead of addressing the problem of housing in Canada, the article just went on to talk about these are the things that you need to know about buying a house if you're going to move to the United States. What, indeed, is there that we can do? In Scripture, Isaiah bore the word of God to King Ahaz. Isaiah held up to the king what was happening all around him. The injustice that was happening in the land and how Ahaz was wandering away from God's purposes. That Ahaz did not trust in the Lord any longer. 
Likewise for us, the answer is we need to appeal to those who are in power. Raise our concerns to them and point out to them the danger of this present path. So I invite you, and I invite them, you who join us this morning on live stream, to write to all levels of government, federal, provincial, and municipal, because no one level of government is going to fix this problem. And implore them to use all of the means at their disposal to end this movement toward 21st century feudalism. And that is what it is. When no worker owns the land, we move back to being serfs. It is 21st century feudalism. And this year, this year the good news is this. This year they're going to listen. This year you'll get a response. Because every one of those people that you are going to write to will be standing on your doorstep in the next 12 months asking for your support because there are provincial and federal elections coming. And you can ask them this one question. How can you say you support the middle class if no one is allowed to own their own home? Because that is the defining thing about being middle class. Sorry, I stepped into public policy for a minute. But know this. The lives and the well-being of our very children and our grandchildren and their children after them and many others hang in the balance of how we deal with this moment. It may already be too late. There will be pain, perhaps in your very RRSPs or RIFs, whatever you are investing in, because I think this is far more pervasive than we even imagine. But if that is indeed the case, then Isaiah is speaking to us. Woe to those who join house to house, who add field to field until there is no more room. And you are made to dwell alone in the midst of the land. Now is the time for us to act. Thanks be to God. Amen.